I saw the thoughts, the inner monologue of characters appear in the dialogue. And I thought, ah, you know, so that's a technical tool where some of that really did come right from the book, but it's that person thinking. Empathy, no matter what character, what show I've written on or created, is so important. I have to understand why these characters are doing what they're doing. One scene for me that makes me feel like crying is when, uh, well, oh, we can't give those spoilers, but you know, when, <laughs> when we finally move to the UK, when we're finally mm -hmm. in Britain, a lot of those scenes, because there's this sense of, you know, what happens next, and there's this yearning in the main character and a sense of being lost and not knowing where to go. There's a theme here with the books that I love. But when I can see myself in a book, which is when I think about teenage me who just lived in the library, when I can see myself like I saw myself in Covey, this mixed race girl trying to find herself in the world, I, I try to get as many people as possible on board to read it so they see themselves as well, like I did in Blackgate. Hi and welcome to Bestsellers. I'm Natalie Jameson. And I'm Phil Williams. And we've got a slightly, well, Natalie is going to bring us a very slightly different, but all under the broad umbrella of writing bestsellers. Because, Nat, why? What are we doing that's different? So there is a book that came out uh, a few years ago now that has been everywhere. It's a brilliant book called Black Cake by Charmaine Wilkerson. And it has been adapted into a series for Disney+. And I got given the opportunity that we could chat to Charmaine and also Marissa Jo Serrar, who has written the adaptation and is the showrunner for Black Cake, the series. And I just thought it'd be really fascinating because we talk about it quite a lot with authors anyway, about whether their books are going to be made into films or TV. So to hear how that process goes and the choices you have to make and the different considerations you need to do. And Black Cake is actually really fascinating. So for anybody who's read it or if you haven't, there are no spoilers in this one. As ever, we like to kind of make sure that you can come to these stories as fresh as possible. But there are quite a lot of things that happen in a different order in the TV series. And I just thought it was brilliant to be able to hear why they did it that way so uh this is very interesting as you say because now did charmaine was she helping to write the screenplay or was she what role did she have in this was she an exec so she was was she an exec i think she was but she wasn't writing the episodes day to day uh, but she was very much in discussion and she was very much part of the team that were bringing the vision of her book to the screen but yeah she was trusting uh, marissa's team and a writer's room to be able to do that formally. Now, before we get into it, you've read the book, right? I have. And you've seen the adaptation so far, right? Mm -hmm. So I haven't read the book and I only saw a bit of episode one this morning. So let me tell you what I've gleaned from it one, and then you can tell me how accurate it is or faithful to the book. Um, and maybe if there's parts where it differs, you can touch on that as well for us, perhaps. So um, you see an older woman going surfing, but she doesn't really make any effort to get on the surfboard. And then she gets hit by this wave. Mm -hmm. And next thing she's hospitalized and her son goes to her and then she's told that she's got a brain tumor. And this is all within the opening kind of two or three minutes. Yeah. So there's no spoilers here. Um, he can't get hold of his sister to let the other sibling know that mom's not well. And then the next thing it cuts to a lawyer's office and the will is being read and kind of looks like it might be contested. And that's kind of as much as I'd say without then giving too much away. Is that 
similar to the book? Is it faithful yeah. to the book? Yeah. Uh, yeah, it is. And I think it's fair to say because it flips between two timelines. So you get the present timeline of these two siblings um, who have been uh, somewhat estranged and coming back together after the death of their mother. And then you also get the what actually happened to the mum earlier on in her life, a story that she'd never told her kids. And it, I mean, it's a really interesting device, I think, because again, this is a tiny spoiler, but I think it's fine because it's in like the trailers for the show and it, you kind of get to hear this pretty early on in the book. But the mum hasn't been able to unload her entire emotional backstory and quite a thrilling one as well uh, to her kids while she was alive. But what she did was she recorded hours of her story with the lawyer and it's on the on the proviso that the two siblings have to come back together and listen to this in its entirety to experience it together so it's 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 a strange device but it it's very effective in a storytelling sense so here is natalie jameson spending some some time with both the original writer of the novel and the showrunner of the tv adaptation Today's guests on bestsellers, Charmaine Wilkerson and Marissa Jo Sarah, know a lot about the writing process and how best to communicate stories, whether in novel form or for the screen. Uh, with a journalism career in America and success writing short stories, Black Cake was Charmaine's debut book that came out in 2022. It's been translated into, I think, 17 languages now, it may be more, <laughs> and is now adapted for TV on Disney+. Writer-producer Marissa is the showrunner for that eight-episode series and comes with a wealth of experience too on shows ranging from 13 Reasons Why and The Handmaid's Tale. So thank you both so much for your time today. Thank you. Hi. Thank you. It's great to be here. I'm curious to know when you two first got together, what was the kind of, Marissa, what was the one thing you wanted to ask Charmaine about her story? And Charmaine, what did you want to pick Marissa's brain about how it was going to be adapted? Well, we met on Zoom for the first time, I think three years ago, four, I don't know. But um, I, it was not really questions at first, because this was really my opportunity to tell her what I loved about the book. And to at least let her know why I loved it, because there were so many, I had so many personal connections and parallels. And, you know, I was like, is this, did you, I felt like you write about, you wrote like the, I'm the American version of Black Cake. Like there's so many parallels. So for me, it was just telling her how much I loved it, um, what I got from it um, and how I saw it as a series and the characters I connected to and my hopes and dreams, you know, essentially as a as a writer and a producer and what I hoped to accomplish if she were to grant me the honor of, of adapting her book. Well, for me, uh, the first time that I spoke to Marissa about uh, Black Cake and the idea of transferring that to the screen, I was struck by what she just said, her emotional investment in this story. And she highlighted the aspect that most spoke to her. I, as a writer, do a lot of thinking about identity and shifting ideas of home, family, and self and how stories influence that. So at the heart of this um, tale, there we have a brother and sister who find out that their mother had a hidden past. So they grew up believing one story about who they were and they're in the process of discovering that a lot of that is not true. It's destabilizing and it's causing them to ask themselves, who are we now? Who do we become? 
and who will we remain, you know, in any event. And right away, Marissa was talking about the emotional heart of the story, about what it means, for example, to be adopted and how you still have a sense of family and how you reconcile that. And just that one aspect drew me in right away. So I didn't have a lot of questions. I was listening and that's what I was looking for. I wanted someone to, I don't want to say someone who got the story because you get what you want from a story. It's not for me to tell you what to get from any story, but she was pulling something out of that. And I was relating to what she was, she was seeing and hearing in the, in the story. In the book, obviously, there's such huge empathy in the way that you write, Charmaine, and in the adaptation. I'm obviously not going to give away any, any spoilers, but in particular, so to take the character of Covey, so the mother in this tale who is, is the one with the hidden past, her father, initially, you might think that he was totally like heinous uh, and just so not thinking about his daughter at all and acting for all the wrong reasons. But actually, by the second episode, Marissa, you have uncovered some empathy for that character too. So was that kind of empathetic viewpoint to all people in all different threads of this story important to you? Absolutely. Um, Lynn, specifically Covey's father, it was so important to me, day one of the writer's room, I said, we have to empathize with this man. When do we get to see, number one, this type of character in a mainstream um, streaming series? Never. <laughs> he came to Jamaica as a young boy and grew up there, and those were his people, even though he didn't look anything like them. Again, Charmaine talking about identity. Um, Lynn's identity um, is such a huge part of his story and Covey's story and you know his his is the the next generation their story too that was so important to me I said I want to to learn more about him I want to see him um, different stages of his life um, that we hear about in the book and because I'm trying not to spoil I'm realizing like, <laughs> it's I pretty hard isn't it <laughs> But yes, it, empathy, writing from, you know, empathy, no matter what character, what show I've written on or created is so important. I have to understand why these characters are doing what they're doing, um, not just as a leader of the writer's room, but working with actors, um, actors who are playing characters who do things that we think we would never do. You have to be able to explain why he's doing it. And you have to understand with Lynn, he was in a position that many of us in present day sort of live a life of privilege we're not in those positions where it's life or death where you know you know arranged marriages are not part of you know my community but you know where Lynn lived at that time period it was it was an option and we just needed to understand I think where he was coming from so that he wasn't just a villain like because that he wasn't a villain he was a human being and I try not for me to write villains and heroes I try to just really write human beings no matter what it is what project it is so yes and thanks for mentioning that because I'm so proud episode two and Simon <laughs> who plays Lynn he's just so amazing and Natalia who directed that episode is just so beautiful and I'm so proud of it but it's also really interesting how the story unfolds because Charmaine I was going back to your book before watching this and there are some things that are given away again I'm really careful about spoilers but some really big facts that are given away quite early on in your story that happen much later in the TV adaptation. So how did the pair of you reconcile kind of which plot points you pulled out? And was it just sort of throwing it all down on a 
post-its or whatever and seeing which order might work dramatically? How did that sort of unfold between the pair of you? Well, really, in terms of structuring of a screenplay, that was Marissa's domain and the hard work of the talented screenwriters. And I gather also some input even during filming on, hmm, why don't we try this slightly differently? You know, I think actors do that as they go through filming as well. What fascinates me um, is that when I write a novel and it's jumping all over the place too, Yes, you need to write it on the page, but it's there in my head. So it's just like walking down the street and I see you outside the grocery store and I tell you a tidbit today. And maybe next week I tell you a bit more of the story, but it's always there. How you do that for a screenplay is uh, Marissa's great magic trick. I think I won't spoil what one of the major plot points you're talking about that is revealed in the first, you know, few pages of the book is revealed mid-season. And that was when I crafted the pitch, I knew what I had to know when every single thing was going to happen. I It was a very detailed, very long pitch of me talking for an hour with nobody interrupting me because I, I wanted to just come in and really have time to explore and not rush the writer's room. But that was really intentional because... I wanted, and also genre, and making sure when I sold this, you know, this is a family drama, but it's a murder mystery. And so we have to have some of those genre elements in there. And we have to have those cliffhangers and the, the high stakes and the plot and not forgetting we're a propulsive plot. And so revealing the, this identity of this person who's very important to the show, um, waiting until the middle of season one was absolutely day one was something that I knew was very important. If I said I was you know, going to push the, the mystery um, element of the show and not just the murder mystery, the other mysteries that are revealed, that it, we couldn't know that in a series before our main characters knew about this character who was looming out in the world. We needed to get to know them first. We needed to be immersed in their world. We need to be immersed in Jamaica before we then show you, oh, wait, there's a whole other world, another country, <laughs> like another family that who's going to be so essential to the story. So that was, I had to know that before I wrote, it was all in the pitch. Um, just so that then, because that informs everything else that we're doing. And then it really gave me this very detailed map um, to work from when I, we brought on the other writers. Without giving away the first scene, in the first scene, you managed to capture the drama of that big thing that happens without us really knowing why we just know that um, something has gone wrong. So that also is a joy of, of um, storytelling on the screen. And it's also fascinating. I'm sure it must be thrilling, Charmaine, to see these characters that you've dreamt up in your head uh, suddenly appear on screen before you. But obviously in the book, you write from the perspective of Covey and Byron and Benny. Um, and then that's the difficulty of, of sometimes wrestling a story from a book to the screen because you lose some of that inner monologue. So I, th I still felt like I got it on the screen, um, you know, in the looks and the, the sort of the tension between characters. And Marissa, how do you translate that because that feels like such a an innate skill too it's writing from who whose scene is this whose whose point of view are we in um with writing and in the writer's room um i just <laughs> there's a lot of a lot of work and i'm always asking questions and sometimes just to myself and i'm acting out the scenes and i'm we're all making sure like 
okay, what is every single person thinking in the scene right now? Okay, then how do I dramatize that? Even if there's no dialogue for that person, but what is her, and if this were her episode, we were in her point of view, which were in different characters' points of view in different episodes, which was really important to me. I wanted, and when I pitched this, I said, you know, this is a show where we might be in the past for a couple episodes and we might not see the present day characters. We're not going to bounce around um, in every single episode. I don't want it to be a formula where you just can expect where you or think you know what's about to happen or when you're going to be and whose point of view. And I loved that we were in Benny's point of view for an episode. And it was Benny's episode. And then Byron had his episode and another character named Mabel had her big you know, ep episode that was hers. And so I, I think it's just really, it's all with the, the screenplay, uh, but it, before we get to the screenplay, it's just the time in the writer's room. And really before we write one word, going through every single scene, you know, whose point of view is this? What are they thinking? Where are they going? What's their trajectory? Because that's one of the things, I mean, that draws you into the the novel. You're You're so close to the characters. You're so moved by all of them for so many different reasons. And that's why I loved it. I would never want to strip any of that away. Like that's why I fell in love with it and fell in love with these characters and want to spend as much time as, as I can with them. So it's, it's not possible to do it exactly as, you know, the novel because it's a different medium, but um, that was so important to try to have at the very least a very strong essence of that on the screen. And I hope we sur you know, surpassed that. I, I just, it was really important to me. Did you want to add something to that, Charmaine? The one um, interesting trick I saw was I saw the thoughts, the inner monologue of characters appear in the dialogue. And I thought, ah, you know, so that's a technical tool where some of that really did come right from the book, but it's that person thinking. And yes, MJ, you transferred that so that people could see that happening in a room among people talking to one another. Actors and the, the direction that they're given and the way that our cinematographer, you know, frame them. It's it's all of us coming together with the same, you know, goal to, to bring the book, you know, to life. And I know it's a really difficult question, but Charmaine, from having lived with this book for obviously a long time and, and having readers' expectations and stories shared with you all the time, is there one particular essence from the series or one particular scene that often comes up in conversations that you think readers who know Black Cake are just going to really kind of grab onto and, and will be kind of the one that really gets them? I think that um, what I found interesting was less seen but certain lines people really kept picking up on the same lines and the same moments and so and characters one of the things was Lynn that they thought oh Lynn you know they're angry with him but then they realize he's multifaceted another line is the idea that everything is connected everything is connected you only have to go far enough back in time and that is reflected through the visuals and the connections and the relationships on the screen without being said. This idea that you keep going back and every time you go back, you realize the connections are all there. It's like a spider web. In terms of a scene, without a doubt, the opening scene is gonna grab everyone. They're gonna get it. They're gonna know what's going on without being told. And I think it's also going to immerse them immediately in the beauty in particular of um, the island where many of those scenes were shot. Jamaica. One scene for me that makes me feel like crying is when uh, 
when, well, oh, we can't give those spoilers, but, you know, when, <laughs> when we finally move to the UK, when we're finally mm -hmm. in Britain, a lot of those scenes, because there's this sense of, 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 you know, what happens next, and there's this yearning in the main character and a sense of being lost and not knowing where to go, and the world is about to unfold in new ways, really, in the scenes in that were shot in England and in, in Wales. I think, yeah, but I think it's the drama. When they see people running, uh, when they see her running, I gave a bit of it away. Um, <laughs> they know. <laughs> yeah. It's and I presume as well that uh, was much black cake eaten during the filming of this? <laughs> We did. I mean, we had black cake in in different countries. We had black cake in Jamaica. When Charmaine visit, when I met Charmaine for the first time in person, breathing the same air as Charmaine was in um, Wales on our sound stage. And um, part of you know the reason black cake was able to be filmed and and we were able to create these amazing locations that look like 1970s London, Scotland. We were in um, Wales, and that and, and was made possible by Creative Wales. I had never been to Wales before, and we we're based in Cardiff. And it's it's such an amazing city. I call it like baby Rome. I arrived. I was like, oh, I thought it was a little town. This is like everybody's out. There are castles. Everywhere. I mean, this is amazing. But so we had Charmaine brought um, black cake. So we had it in Wales on our sound stages. We had it in Jamaica. And then we had it in um, California in Southern California. We had it and I had it at my premiere party. We have this amazing chef and Inglewood chef Jeffrey Brown who makes black cakes and so I have had them I had some actors over I had them for my premiere party so we have had black cakes from all over the world and I have had before I read this book I had never had black cake and now I have a taste for it and I've tried <laughs> different versions of it. I've tried vegan black cake I mean I've, I've tried them all so a lot of black cake was we had a black cake consultant to make sure that we we're making it properly I mean it was we took it very seriously <laughs> I love that mixing of food and story. And I know our time's about to uh, run out. So just before we end, what we always do on our podcast is we get book recommendations from our guests so that we can share the passion for reading and hopefully broaden people's horizons with stories they may not particularly know about until now. So I wonder if Charmaine and Marissa, do you both have one or two books that you love? They can be new or old that you could share with the people listening. A book I love is called The Girl Who Fell From the Sky. The author is Heidi Duro, and it is another family drama mystery about a mixed race young girl, but growing up in the 80s in um, the United States of America. Very, very close to my heart. Very, very, there's a theme here with the books that I love. But when I can see myself in a book, which is when I think about teenage me who just lived in the library, when I can see myself like I saw myself in Covey, this mixed race girl trying to find herself in the world, I, I try to get as many people as possible on board to read it so they see themselves as well, like I did in Black Cake. And Charmaine? I can think of an old book and a new book, both of which offer some, you know, offer a window onto the experience of migrants, in particular from Jamaica one to the UK, the other to the US. So the old one is the book, um, A Small Island by Andrea Levy. Um, and, and I love that. I, I believe they turned that also into a BBC um, mm -hmm. production. And I loved the book. And that told a bit about a previous generation or two generations ago, people who were caught between two cultures because they were coming from the islands, but they also felt British to some extent. The other was shortlisted for the Booker Prize, 
I May Survive You by Jonathan Escoffery tells a very different story about what it's like to be a person who is, um, you know, uh, multicolored, multicultural, but basically a Jamaican kid in the U.S. and, and what that feels like. So I love that these stories, um, you know, cross the spectrum of experience uh, between cultures and of people who move. Amazing. Thank you both so much for your time today. I know you're doing lots of chat, so I really appreciate it. That was great. Thanks. Now, this is the first time that we've kind of done that and, and turned left without indicating. So were you in the room or was it a Zoom junket that you got with them? This was a Zoom one. Right. So the last one of those I did with kind of Hollywood types, I ended up going through about eight different rooms before I got to what they call the talent. You're, you're <laughs> laughing. So I think is that kind of does that happen on this one? Uh, it, it, I have had that where it happens before. But no, this one was much more straightforward. Um, much friendlier, I'd say. Right. It was just a, right. here's the link, click on, there they are. And oh, great. Okay. Have a nice chat. So the one I did, you come through to a British publicist and they say, just checking your Phil Williams, yeah, and you're doing this, yeah. Great. Um, standby, we'll transfer you to Los Angeles, right? Uh -huh. So you get transferred to LA and this guy comes and he goes, Phil, baby, how are you? We've never met. I've no <laughs> idea who he is. <laughs> and also, it's a British show that I was doing, so I don't know why I've gone to LA, right? And I think it's just so they can get a look at you. They want to see the white to your eyes. And then he says, passing you straight back to London, Phil. So I said, okay. And then I'm back in London. There's a separate publicist who's not the first one, right? And she says, so this is what we're doing. And I'm like, yeah, we've done this bit. So put you through to a waiting room. Yeah. Third publicist. No, fourth now we're on to. And then from the waiting room, you then get to the actors. And the actors come up here and they they look at you as if, where have you been? We've been waiting ages for you. And I'm like, well, I've been giving that <laughs> run around the houses. I've gone the scenic route. Uh, so that was that unusual then? Uh, I'd say it's probably like 50-50, depending, right. right. depending on the film company or depending on the production company. But I think that those, the, the type that you're describing, I haven't done that many of them, but they are quite disconcerting because you'll be put into like a breakout waiting room, as you said. And the trouble with, with that is that then... They'll just say, we'll come to you at your allotted time or we'll come, you know, we're, we're running sort of on time. So we'll be with you soon. So you then, well, I feel anyway, that you have to sort of spend the whole time in the waiting room appearing like engaged on the camera or like not kind of like sitting back looking really bored or do you know what I mean? It's like Picking really, your nose or whatever. <laughs> yeah, you kind of, you're almost like starting the interview or you feel like it's a test that you have to yeah, yeah. sit there for. And sometimes it could be like half an hour. You're like, this is such a yeah. waste of my time. <laughs> yeah, 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 I get you. I think it's important to talk about that because people don't know and then they, they I think they think you go and it's just you that day, but, you know, that would mm. be one of many interviews they will have done that day. Yeah, yeah. It no, would have been true. the best, obviously. But... <laughs> well, you hope. Yeah, I, I found it really interesting and I think hopefully listening to it, it demystifies that process a little bit or just adds a bit of insight if you're watching the series or or coming to Black Cake and reading that book and... And it is something that we, probably the pair of us, would quite like to do a bit more of as well, because I think the process of writing in whatever form is something that interests us. And, mm. you know, I've always got nosy questions about how they mm. adapted that bit or yeah, why they decided to do that. Yeah, so, yeah. yeah. And, and character creation and exactly. uh, prohibitive costs. That's another thing, mm. isn't it? You know, if something's too expensive, that scene just can't happen. True. Or it's got to be done cheap in a cheaper way. And then that compromises the narrative. So. Yeah, it's really interesting, really interesting. And um, with Natalie being based in London, it's easier for her to go and do these things. So there'll be a fair few more, we hope, coming, won't there? To Hopefully. Sales. Or if they're yeah. on Zoom, you can join too. Oh, yeah, of course. Yeah, that penny didn't drop. 
Uh, but there was a good reason why I couldn't do that last week. Yeah, no, there was. <laughs> I remember now. It's all coming back to me. That'll be my age. Right. So we'll have another bestsellers coming very soon. And there's also going to be, we're going to do like what we've been reading as well, right? Yeah. Yeah. Just keep you up to date with other titles that we've loved or things that we might have read over the, I know it seems ages away, the festive break, but things that have been on our radar that we've enjoyed and want to share with you that hope you can too. I've been under the weather. It's delayed the publication of our website, but I'm going to keep talking to you about it to get you excited about it. And one of the things that one of the last guests loved about the notion of the website was that we are going to build an area of it full of author recommendations. So every writer who's been on, you know, at the end where we say, recommend us a couple of books, all those books will be collated in one place and you can go on and you can, there'll be a link to buy if you want to do that. So we're going to get that sorted. As soon as I've stopped coughing my lungs up, we will get that sorted and up and running and then there'll be a place where you can go and find every writer we've ever had on bestsellers and all the books they recommend. 